welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. You know, they say sun's out, gun's out. When it's 82, the pastor gets to wear shorts in the sanctuary. That's what I say. There's a little thermostat back there. Did you guys know that's where the thermostat is, in case you ever need to know? The thermostat for the church, it's right back here. And you will also find, these are my favorites, Jesus. Trust, I trust in you. We got that. And uh, you're welcome to attend. So the thermostat and a welcome from Jesus are right back there. It is currently 82 degrees in here. Let's, let's, let's get this thing moving. Uh, my name's Micah, if we have not met, one of the pastors here at Awaken, believe it or not. And uh, I'd like to welcome you. If you're new around here, we would love to know that you are here. And so if you're interested in connecting to our church and to us, there are cards in the seat pockets in front of you. You can go online about halfway down our homepage. There's an I'm new tab. You can click that. Somebody from our team will reach out, invite you to a beverage of your choice. We'll get to know you. You can get to know us. It'll be great. And then uh, if you have tithes or offerings this morning and you don't give online, of which there are multiple options, by the way, uh, those cards and tithes and offerings can go on the black boxes at each of the exits. We're super grateful for those. A couple of announcements before we jump in. First of which is the annual meeting is right after this gathering. So uh, many of you know this. If you uh, were on the fence or you haven't registered, you're still welcome to join us. Uh, We'd love for you to be here. We'll have some lunch Uh, after the gathering, and then we'll come back up here for our meeting. Hopefully that'll be, um, well, no, not hopefully, it will be a lovely time of celebration and testimony and um, kind of here's where we're headed in a number of ways. So join us for that. Camp Create is something that we do for our kiddos during the summertime, so lots of artists and creative folks around Awaken who kind of pool their resources and then offer opportunities for kids to engage. The first of those for this summer is a nature art journaling class starting on June the 14th, 10 to 12. So a couple hours, you can register by the 11th, that would be helpful. There is a youth group lock-in happening. Yeah, that's right, friends, the old classic church lock-in. You were in a few of those. Michaela was in my youth group when I was a youth pastor. In fact, do you guys remember the frosted tip story I told you a couple weeks ago? Michaela was the mastermind behind that, pulling hair out of the cap, the whole deal. That's great. So this train's off the tracks real early. Youth group lock-in, 16th of June, 7 p.m. You can sign up online. Last but not least, we are hiring. Our dearest friend, Melody, is transitioning out of this role at the end of August, so we're looking for somebody new to fill that role. So if you know anybody... If you got some guy down the street that plays the guitar, tell him to call us. No. If you know somebody who, you know, wants to lead the church in worship, tell him to call us, okay? Uh, and be in prayer. That's all, that's in all seriousness, be in prayer for that. A very important role in our church. Um, we have the privilege and honor to welcome some new partners to our community this morning. Churches often call these members, we call them partners. So I'm going to read some names on the screen behind me. Um, BT Dubs, if you're here this morning and you did fill out an application and somehow your name is not on that screen and I don't read it, you just come on up here, okay? Um, we missed a couple first hours, so that, sorry about that. But here they are, John and Amy Linden, Karen and David Bergstrom, Rachel Price, Josh and Melena Coppersmith, Matthias and Lori Koser-Frosch, Christina Eflin, Sarah and Chris Spang, Chelsea and Ephraim Maduka, Ken Schramm, it's a long list, guys, Becky Benson, 
Katie Huben Holmgren, Lori and Ken Huben, Heidi Smith, Nick and Brooke Rivers. You guys make your way up here, if you would, please, to the stage in front. Just stand here in a, in a nice little row so everyone can see your beautiful faces. Yep, right there. If you are on the advisory team or on the staff, if you want to make your way up, we'll offer a word of prayer for these folks in just a moment. I'll get off the stage so you guys can get on there. Oh, my gosh. You Friends, there were 26 people that went through this partnership class, like I think the second largest ever in Awakens history. So pretty cool. Uh, I'll ask you guys a few questions, and you can, uh, you can respond. So to those of you who have come to be welcomed as partners in the work of the gospel of Jesus and of Awakened Community, do you affirm faith in Jesus? If so, answer, I do. Do you intend to honor your commitments to participate fully in the life of the church by being present with your mind, body, and soul, by committing a portion of your resources to the mission of the church as an act of worship, by using your gifts for the sake of God's work in the world? If so, same answer. Do you intend to pray for the vision of the church and the leaders who serve here? And to the partners who are present in our gathering this morning, if you would please stand in solidarity with them. Hearing these commitments made by your brothers and sisters this morning to the life of the church, do you remember the commitments that you made? And will you renew them again this morning? If so, answer, we remember. Will you do your part in word and deed and through prayer to support and welcome these, your brothers and sisters in Christ, into this body of believers called Awaken? If so, answer, we will. Amen. You may be seated. Um, let's offer, if, if you're comfortable, you know, uh, invited to extend a hand towards these, and let me offer a word of prayer and blessing over them. God, we thank you so much for this morning, um, this celebration of this group of people who have said yes to you, uh, to your way of being in the world to a way of justice and of mercy, of love and compassion, of hope, uh, forgiveness, and, and who have also said yes to this community in particular, the work of Awaken. And so we're so grateful for uh, the gift that this place is, that it has been for so many years and that we trust it will be in the future. And I pray your blessing on um, the passions, the energy, the, um, the gifts that are present in this group. And I pray that the work of their hands, God, would uh, bear much fruit, that uh, what they put their hands to and their hearts to around here in their families and in the world would be a, a reflection of who you are and of your good news, your gospel uh, in the world. I pray in the strong name of Christ and the church said together, amen. 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 Would you welcome these guys into our church? Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. So cool. Every once in a while, I get these moments of just total gratitude and humility. Um, and these are, when we welcome new partners, it's one of those moments where I'm just like, what a gift. Uh, like 13 years ago, this was an idea of like, I just, I desperately need a church like Awaken. And I hope some other people do as well. And it turns out a whole bunch of you do. Um, and so that's always just such a gift and um, humbling. Uh, also, I just want to, I'll mention this to you uh, on my sermons up here, if you were to come and look at them. Top left corner, I have a, like a coding system. There's a number, and then it says Awaken, because that's the church I'm at today. Uh, the date, and then the title of my sermon. Today is Iterations, Exiles. I was trying to do something with Taylor Swift, you know, Boney Bear song, but I just figured I'd just go, just exile. But the first one is a number, and that number is 500. This is my 500th teaching at Awaken. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? 
<laughs> what in the world? Just bonkers. Just yesterday, you were a toddler changing your diapers. No. Uh, it, but it's, it's pretty wild to think about. Um, yeah. Today, we're going to continue in a series that we started about eight weeks ago called Iterations. And we've been looking at these, this idea that there is a group of people in the Bible, uh, also known as God's people, um, and that in and through that group of people, God intends to model something, reveal something, show something. And so this group of people is uh, invited by God and promised God's spirit and presence in that process and then given a job to do. Uh, they have like a vocation, work in the world. And no matter where you pick up the Bible, there will be an iteration of God's people. Uh, we started in the beginning with Adam and Eve, the first humans. Uh, we looked at uh, Abram and Sarai in Genesis chapter 12. We looked at the story of Jacob, who has 12 sons, who become the nation of Israel. Uh, we looked at the, um, the, the, the cry of the people from exile, from, from Egypt the first time, and God's hearing and seeing and remembering and knowing those folks. Uh, that they, then God led them by a pillar of cloud and fire through the wilderness. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the judges, right? This period of time when the people came to, seemed to keep falling into the same pattern of, of going off the, the, the path and crying out to God, and God provides a judge and brings them back, and then they go off the path and they cry out, and God brings a judge 11 different times. And then last week, we looked at after the judges, they're looking around and they see all these other nations around them, and they say, We want a king. So this different iteration of God's people where there is a kingdom. And this morning, we're going to look at after the, king, the, the kings come and they, they, uh, God grants them that desire, they find themselves in exile pretty quickly. And so today is a, a, an exploration of this idea of exile, the iteration of God's people in exile. So what I want to do is explore that word and that theme in the scriptures. There are many themes that run through the story of the Bible. One of them is exile. And... Uh, and then what, is, what do we learn about God in the midst of that? And is there anything for us in our context here today? So we're going to look at the prophet Jeremiah in the 29th chapter. Some of you know where this is headed, Jeremiah 29, uh, verses 1 to 14. So if you can stand in body or in spirit, I'd invite you for the reading of the word. Mike Donnelly, take it away. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent to Jerusalem from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shephan, and to Gamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. 
Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and designers, diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Join me in prayer. <clears throat> God, this morning we gather with our hearts turned towards you as much as we are able, with our ears tuned in to as much as we can hear your voice. And it's my hope and prayer that you would be faithful to your promise, that your word doesn't return void, but that it does what it seeks and sets out to do to bring hope and healing, transformation. So do it again today, I pray. In Christ's name and by the power of the Spirit, the church said, amen. You may be seated. How about it for Mike Donnelly for the hardest passage read ever? A lot of weird names in there. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate that one. Um, also, how many of you either grew up in a home, had a grandparent who had it in a home, or still have in your home Jeremiah 29, 11, embroidered, cross-stitched on a poster, something, anything? A couple of you? Okay. Uh, if you were to go to Northwestern Bookstore, if it still existed, you would find this verse there because it's a real popular one. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, give you a hope and a future. And I just, um, I want to remind you that this is not about you. This passage is really not, any, has, has have anything to do with you. <laughs> it's about people who lived 3,000 years ago, who were in exile, who were captive in the Babylonian Empire, um, who had a relationship with God that was sort of being questioned. And so this word was for them. <laughs> and it's also for you. The Bible has this weird way of being in its original context, written for a purpose to people, real people who lived in the world that addressed them and their needs. And so this was about them. And also... God chooses to speak through it and reveal God's self to us through it. And so there's a way in which Scripture declares and testifies to the character and the nature of God. And so while this is for the Israelites 3,000 years ago, it tells us something about God's character. And that is that God desires good things for what God makes, including you. God has hopes and dreams and plans for the things that God makes, including you. And God will be faithful to be God for those people and for you. So there is this tension in which we live when we come to Scripture. 
that it was not about you and it's for these people. And also, it tells us about the nature and the character of God. And so there's a very real way and a very, very real sense in which we can claim, name, believe as true what is being said about God for our own lives. And so cross-stitch that sucker. Put it on your wall and believe it. Like, inhabit it. That's as much as I'm going to say about 2911 in the whole sermon, okay? I just figured I couldn't not say something about that passage. Uh, what I want to do today is actually something different than that, and it, and it requires a little bit of an introduction as to, like, how, where are we in the story of the Bible? So bear with me. Um, in 1050, so we're talking like almost 3, 000, over 3,000 years ago, the Israelites were asking for a king, and God says, give him a king to Samuel. And so Samuel anoints the first king of Israel, whose name was... Saul, that is correct, 1050 B.C., before Jesus. Forty years later, David is the king of Israel. He takes over the throne. Forty years after that, Solomon takes over, and those are the first three kings of the United Kingdom of Israel. When I was walking to church this morning and training for my, uh, my, my trip, I was preaching to the birds and the animals on my way, and I was like, 1050, 1010, 970, 9... Oh my gosh, all three of the first... Kings of Israel had terms of 40 years. I did not, I never saw it, never realized it. 40 is a number in scripture that has like great significance. You know, something's dying, something's being born. It's the gestational period for human life, all kinds of things. And I was like, oh my Lord, there it is. Never saw it. Got robbed by a little old lady on a motorized bike. Never saw it coming. Uh, in 930, the kingdom divides. So what was a united kingdom becomes two kingdoms. There's ten tribes in the north called Israel and two tribes in the south called Judah, somewhat uh, confusingly. But the ten tribes in the north called Israel, they had 19 kings, and they were all God-awful. They were terrible, every single one of them. First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, First Kings, Second Kings tell their stories. And in 722, the Assyrians come in from the north, and they take captive the northern tribes of Israel, and they basically eradicate, they, they, they wipe them off the planet. Like, there's no, there's no more history for those people after this moment, which is actually a pretty sad thing to say out loud. The southern kingdom in the south, the two tribes in the south called Judah, they had nine decent, or seven decent kings and 12 terrible kings. So they did a little better. They lasted a little longer. And the Babylonians come in 586, and they destroy the temple, uh, and they wipe out. And, and, uh, but they actually arrive in 606. And they begin a series of three different deportations of, of the Jewish people back to Babylon. In the first wave of deportation, Daniel goes, and we get the book of Daniel and the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the second wave of, of deportation, uh, Nehemiah, or Ezra uh, is, is, is deported, and we get the book of Ezra, the prophet. And then in the third uh, wave, that's when they, they come in in 586 and they destroy the temple and everybody is sort of carted back. So 606 to 536 is the 70 years in Babylon that you heard Jeremiah speak about in our passage. Um, Ezra and some of the people begin to return back to the city after 536, after that 70 years is over, and they begin to rebuild. First their temple is rebuilt, and then Nehemiah makes his way back, and the wall is rebuilt. little teaser after uh, our meeting on June 29th, the series that we're going to do in the summer, because we're going to be rebuilding something, is actually a, a study of the book of Nehemiah, which I've never preached in my entire career. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, but he comes back, and the walls and the temple are complete by 444 B.C. Okay, So on the span of history, 1050 to 444 is the first king to when they're back in the city, 
Jerusalem, the temple is rebuilt, and then there's this 400 years of silence that we hear about. Malachi, the last prophet, speaks, and then it's quiet for 400 years until Jesus returns, shows up on the scene. Everybody with me? Y'all tracking on where we are? Now, so Jeremiah is a prophet who's writing right before they're in exile and during their exile, and what I want to do today is explore this idea, this, this phrase, this concept of exile in scripture. So let's start there. What is exile in the Bible? Here's one def- definition I found that I thought was helpful. So we'll work with it today. Someone who's forced out of their home country and is now living somewhere else. Somebody who's forced out of their home, who's, who's forced to live somewhere else, could be considered an exile of, from their home. Um, here's an all-play question. Imagine you are the people of God, and you and land has been given to you to live in, and someone comes into your land, and they take over, and they deport you to another country, and you are God's people. What are your questions in that moment? Go ahead and shout them out if you're new. I I like to hear from you, so this only works if you play. Why me? Thank you. What the heck? I heard something over here, but no? Was it over here? Is God real? What the heck? Why me? Say it again. Not fair. Where is God? What will they do with our land? Yeah, what are these foods we're now supposed to eat? Where, who's making the hummus, you know? Where's the bob ganoush? Do you think they had falafels? I love falafels. Your questions are not unlike the people's questions in the Bible. The exilic period left God's people without a home, without a temple, without a space to worship. And... And with a lot of questions about where is God? Is God faithful? Can we trust God? Because we're here. And, and it fulfilled centuries of warnings from the prophets. Don't go down this path or it won't go well for you. If you don't train for the Camino, you will get blisters. <laughs> right? So there are these warning signs, right? I'm thinking Bon Iver and, and Taylor Swift, right? Eugene, there were no signs. I gave so many signs. They were there. And hundreds of years of culture and tradition and history just <whistles> gonzo. This is where you are. You're in exile. Now, I don't think we can talk about exile without also talking about this other concept that goes right with it, which is the the concept of home and what it means to be home and in a place called home. Uh, I mentioned last week I'm doing this cohort with these 12 men, and we begin with the assumption that um, my home is my heart fully alive as a man in the world. That we're trusting that this journey towards Santiago that we're taking together is a journey towards home, which is my heart fully alive insofar as I can know it and trust it and live from it uh, and, and have access to it. I'm alive. 
And so, in this work, this reality, this work for me as a man living in the world, as you living in the world, is, is connected to a larger story about humans and what it means for us to be alive and fully alive and uh, living from a place of home, in touch with our hearts and what's most true about us. So what does it mean to be exiled from that place? I want to suggest that you could frame the whole biblical story in terms of exile and homecoming. Not the dance. Exile and restoration. Think about where the Bible begins, right? Humans in a garden, living in communion with the divine, relationship with one another, and relationship with the world that they live in. So home is humanity fully alive and fully connected to the divine presence in communion, in union with it. It's humanity fully alive and fully connected in friendship and intimacy with one another. And it's humanity fully alive in the world that we live in on one condition, that we trust God, that God provided and will continue to provide, that we're dependent upon God for our very life and breath and being, that we would be creatures, not creator. And insofar as we can live in that system, in that world, we're home. And because of our inability to trust that, according to the story, we're exiled from our home, Genesis 3 and 4. And so Adam and Eve are escorted outside of home, exiled, as it were. Uh, maybe you've heard this called sin in, in, in religion or in the traditional terms. Like, this is any way we break fellowship, we break the shalom and the peace that exists, where we're meant to live as God created us to live, in home. And we become exiles. And what's wild in the biblical story is the next th- 11 chapters, verse, or chapter 3 to chapter 11, or ch- eight, 8 chapters in Genesis, are the people who end up building a tower in the city called Babel, which is Babylon, the ancient city of Babylon. So the biblical writers have these things connected. They, they, they're not idiots. They're actually quite crafty. They have all this going at the same time, weaving it together. So Jeremiah, what we've read this morning, the people find themselves in exile away from home in the city of Babylon. Why? Because God brought them out of Egypt and gave them a land, a place to be with a particular covenant, an agreement that governed their life together. You could even call it a garden, right? A land flowing with milk and honey. And insofar as they trusted that relationship, they were home. But, as we know the story, they couldn't and they didn't. They worshipped false gods and didn't trust Yahweh, and so they were exiled. They were forcibly displaced by God because of their unfaithfulness, according to Jeremiah. Hang on to that. We're going to come back to it, actually. Think about Jesus' most famous story. It's a story about a son who's exiled from his home, who leaves, who, who returns and there is a homecoming. And you could fast forward and just like tell the whole story of Jesus in this sense. That humanity is exiled from our home. We're wandering, lost, and, and Jesus comes to liberate us, to, to show us the way and invite us back. So I want to make two observations about exile this morning before you all melt. The first of which is this. Exile is a consequence of unfaithfulness. Exile is a consequence of our choices. According to the scripture uh, in the Bible, when the people of God find themselves in exile, they're forced out of their home, living somewhere else, it's always connected to a lack of faithfulness to the covenant God made with Israel. God said, live in this land, I will give it to you, and, uh, and be faithful to me in these ways, and I will be faithful to you. And so whenever we find the people not in that land... 
you could say it differently and say that it's not because of God's character, but it's because of choices that they've made. This is part of the experience of exile in Scripture and in our own lives, and I think it's important to say that out loud. Maybe you've heard the phrase, we, we sleep in the bed that we make, yeah? Now, if you're a little nervous and you're like, gosh, this sounds like a lot of sermons I heard way back in the day uh, in a really rigid fundamentalist church that I went to, you might be right. But part of maturity and wisdom is to discern what's true about maybe something we've let go of or moved beyond, to transcend and include. And I think that there's some truth and some wisdom in this, that we sleep in the bed that we make. I've told you the story about when I got kicked off my college golf team. This was not my coach's fault, right? He did not come and say, like, you know, out of the blue, Micah, you're done. No, we had had multiple conversations before that. He's like, Micah, if you can't keep a lid on this kettle, we're going to have problems. Like, we got to figure out how to get your anger. We need to send you to anger management classes, right? Like, I, I'm a resource. I'm an asset. I'm here for you. I, I want to help. And he gave me so many signs along the way. And when that happened, and I got kicked off my college golf team, that was a bed that I had made. And I slept in it. Uh, one of my children, who shall remain nameless, used to love standing in their high chair at the table, which is never a good idea for a small toddler, right? They can, all kinds of things can go badly at that point in time. So one particular day, I say to this child who shall remain nameless, you need to sit down. Like, no, ref, no, rec, like, no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? No, um, you know, like, you're not even there. Acknowledgement, thank you. No acknowledgement that I'm even saying anything. It's like, was the wind blowing? I'm not sure. So I say to the child who shall remain nameless, like, hey, you need to sit down on your bottom at the dinner table so that you don't hurt yourself. Nothing. Just like a, like a train on a track, a locomotive. So I crank it up a couple notches, and I'm like, hey, you need to sit down or there are going to be some consequences for your choices. They're like two, three. It's reasoning with the child, you know? And while, while standing in the chair, they point their middle finger at me, and they say, you are not my friend. You are not my father. You go to jail. <laughs> there were some consequences for that decision, I'm telling you, and I followed through on those suckers. So that kid slept in the bed that they made. I want, us to, I want us to grow and mature as people who follow Jesus. And there is something true and real about the reality that we, we have free will and we can make choices. And sometimes those choices are not good ones. And through scripture or through friends or through wisdom or the, the spirit or any number of ways, God is trying to get our attention saying, stop going in that direction. That is not going to lead to life. Please, please, I, I beg of you, like, I give you so many signs, don't go that way. And sometimes we keep doing it. And there are moments in life when we do end up sleeping in the bed that we make. And also, did you notice verse 10? It says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. 
even after the people had made these decisions that led them to this place, God says, this experience of exile, it is not permanent. It's not a permanent status. It, it doesn't change your residency on your card. You're like, no, this is something that I will bring you through, that I, that I intend to like rescue you from. And so after your 70 years are complete, I don't know why I was 70 and not 40 or any other number, I don't know, but after your 70 years are complete, I will come to you and I will bring you back from exile to home. So often we come back to this question of what is God like at Awaken? And I submit to you that maybe more than anything else, your picture of God, what you think God is like and what you imagine God to be like in your head is more important than anything else in your spiritual life because it informs everything you believe. And so when we read a passage like this, we're left to ask a question like, well, what do we know God to be like in this story? And we could say a couple of things. God is known to be a faithful promise maker who remains true to their word. Does anybody need that? A person with integrity who says something and follows through with it. Do we need any more of that in the world? We could say that God is a rescuer and a liberator who finds us and leads us back to our homes even when it's been our decisions that have led us there. Exile is not permanent, not when this God is involved in the story. I think we could also say that God is, you'll notice that God is with the people in exile. This is not how it goes, okay? I'm going down this path and God's like, hey, Micah, you might want to take a different path. And I'm like, cool, I got it, we're good. I just keep going. God's like, hey, Micah, actually, it's not. You might want to go a different direction. And I'm like, no, seriously, I've got this one. I've been here before. I'm a professional. And I keep going, and then God's like, well, okay. And, and the consequences of my decisions you know, rain down upon me, and God's like, good luck with that. No. God says, well, I guess we're in this one too, together, right? I guess we're going to Egypt. I guess we're going to Babylon. I had a friend in college named Corey Allen, who, uh, sweetest, most lovely, nicest guy you'd ever meet. Corey was never the ringleader of any of our stupid ideas. You know, like the time we decided to swim naked across the pond at school. He wasn't the ringleader of that idea, but he, he was always up for it. He was always present for it, for good, like, you know, like, that was glorious, amazing, awesome, or like, that was a terrible idea, and some of you might get suspended. He was always present for either, no matter what the outcome was. He's like, I'm in, Corey Allen, I'm in. And I think God's a little bit like my friend Corey. Like, God does not say, good luck with that, I told you not to. God is like, okay, we'll go together. God is with us in the exile, in the places where we have wandered from. There is no place that God is not with us. This is one of the most mind-blowing ideas in the Christian faith. The incarnation of God. That, that God is with us, Emmanuel. And I love verse six, 5, 6, and 7. Even, even after the people find themselves there, and even, even, even God is with them in that, and then says, even in exile... There is life and work to do, right? Verse 5, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, have sons, wives for your daughters. Like, get a job, plant a garden, eat the food, seek the welfare of the city because the welfare of the city is your welfare. There's life and there's work to do even in exile. 
even when it's our making, even when it's our choice. So this is my first observation about exile. The second observation, which will take far less time, may seem at odds with it, and I would suggest to you that sometimes paradox is actually the way the world works. And both of these things are true. Sometimes exile and our experience of exile being away from home is our own making. And sometimes exile is not always a consequence of your choices. There are times exile and being forcibly displaced is the result of somebody else's choice. It's the result of other people's choices. And I think this is important to say here. There are a number of folks who work with refugees in our community, and we've had experience working with refugees as a church. And one of the things that we have found, and that professionals in this field report back to me, is that many refugees believe that their condition is their fault. Because well-meaning people who interpret the Bible in this way that exile is always a consequence of your choice have led them to believe that somehow they did something wrong and so because they're refugees, because they've been displaced, it's their fault. And I want to just say that that's not true. Sometimes it is and sometimes it is not. Indigenous people who lived on this land before we got here were exiled from their land not because of their choices, not, be, not as a consequence of their unfaithfulness but rather because of evil and people who made other choices which were foisted upon them. Africans were not exiled from their homelands because of their, as a consequence of their choice. Right? That was a consequence of somebody else's choice. And that's a, a very difficult thing to wrap your head around sometimes in the world that we live in, that how this all works and why some people's choices impact me even though I didn't make that choice. But that is the reality of it, and I think it's important for us to say that out loud too. As I wrap this up this morning, we as a church are about to enter a new period of time, a new season in our life. And I don't know what that's going to be like. We may be a part of a family that we've been a part of for a long time, and we may not be. And you could maybe argue that that's because of a choice that we've made, and you could maybe argue that that's because of choices that other people have made. Regardless of how we're going to spin that or how you want to think about it, I want to just remind you of the things I've just reminded you of that Wherever we end up, right? So this is Pastor Micah gathering the team, gathering the, the kids around, saying, listen, guys, wherever this goes, wherever this goes, however long we feel like we're, we don't have a home, if that is our fate, if that's what happens, it won't be forever. It never is in the Bible. That experience is never intended to be forever. And so I have every reason to believe that God's spirit will lead us and guide us to a new family if that is necessary. That, that there will be life and work to do if in, if in fact we find ourselves there. No matter what happens, that the church is still invited to be the church. You all, me, when we gather on Sunday mornings, I will still stand here and I will offer to you my best effort as to like opening the word. That there will be sacrament and we will celebrate it. There will be song and we will join our voices together. We will celebrate baptisms. And if anybody dies, we'll have a funeral. If anybody gets married, we'll have a, we'll have a wedding. There, the church will keep being the church. You will keep being the church. We will keep being the church together. No matter what happens in the next months or years in front of us. So I want to just give you hope. 
right? That there is a hope in a future that we can claim Jeremiah 29, 11 for our church. That God has a hope and a plan and a future for us. And when we call, God will answer. God will hear. God will be with us in the midst of it. So if you have any anxiety, fear not. I have none. I have been sleeping great at night lately because I am, I'm like learning. I've done, I've done this long enough and I've walked this path enough times to like actually start practicing trust and belief that these things are true about God. So I invite you to join me in that. To be open to what the Spirit would lead and, and to be open to where the Spirit may lead us as a community. And, and as we go, to know that God is with us in the midst of it. That if it feels like we're not if we're not a part of a family, that that season will be for a season and there will be things to learn and grow from in that. And also, there will be life and work in the midst of it and beyond it. We're not dead yet. That's the end of my sermon for the day. Pray with me if you would. You thought I was joking. I'm actually serious. That's the end of my sermon. <laughs> Pray with me. God, I... I I pray for, uh, for this community this morning as we take a few moments in silence to still our hearts and our minds and our bodies, to hear from your spirit whatever you might want to say beyond what I have tried to say. So speak to us, find us, encourage us, remind us of who you are and who we are, I pray. As we close our time together, we want to invite you to the table. And so on my right and on my left, there is Eucharist, there's gluten-free bread. Uh, we'd invite you to make your way down the side aisles, grab a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. There's red wine and there's white grape juice. As you do, know that the body of Christ has been broken for you and the blood of Christ has been shed for you. Um, I've got a little mobile communion station here this morning, and so if it would be easier for you to receive communion in your seat, I'd be happy to serve that to you. I'll just walk down the center aisle and you can just wave me down. Otherwise, as Mel leads, we invite you to make your way um, to receive the Eucharist this morning. So let's do that together. To my friends gathered this morning, the prophet Jeremiah at one point says, uh, I stand at the crossroads. And he says, seek the, the ancient way, this path, this highway that is the way of God, the way of Jesus, the way of peace. He says, follow that, O man, O church. So that's my hope and prayer, that we would be found on that path together, bring in good news, gospel, um, to the world that we live in. So receive this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the church said together, amen. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.